and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, I actually have a fun interview for you guys because uh, this artist, as I shall call him, a documentarian, artist, director, writer, producer, all of those things, has an amazing project out on the way. Um, and none other than Pete Nix. How are you today? I'm doing good, Bakari. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, it's a blessing. And, you know, we begin our uh, shows uh, the same way um, by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And you've been a writer, director, and producer for some time. So walk us through your career arc since finishing Howard. And what was your first big break in the entertainment industry? Man, uh, how do I do it in a quick one? Yeah, so 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 went from Howard to Berkeley. I, want, I knew I wanted to study documentary film. And um, John Elsa just joined the faculty, um, taking over from the great Marlon Riggs at, at the Berkeley, at the Graduate School of Journalism. and. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to study with John and um, that sort of began after I came out of Berkeley. I started sort of in the PBS world working for Frontline, uh, did a big worked as an associate producer on a series about the war on drugs. And um, that, you know, I'd say that, that was sort of my my break in a way, because it, it introduced me to this whole ecosystem of producers and writers. And, and um, you know, I stayed within that ecosystem, PBS and ABC for a number of years before I kind of got the itch to do independent, you know, documentary work. And um, my wife was working at Highland Hospital in Oakland, California, um, as a speech pathologist. And she's a refugee from Laos. And, you know, that that patient population um, was at the center of a national conversation around healthcare reform. And I felt that the, these stories that she was bringing home to me felt very powerful. And I felt that they weren't being heard in the sort of national conversation around healthcare, which was dominated by like politicians and media pundits, et cetera. And so I, I felt like I just wanted to make a film about this hospital through the lens of people stuck in the waiting room. And that that began my career. And it also began what became a trilogy of films looking at the relationship between community and public institutions in, o in Oakland, California. So it was the it was a um, a series of films that I made that um, which is how I met Ryan Kugler because he was making this film called Fruitvale Station. Yeah. Um, right around the same time, Oscar Grant was born and later died at Highland Hospital. Ryan and I became close friends. His rocket took off with Freedom Panther, and I kept sort of doing my work in Oakland. And then we can't kind of it circled around to us starting a company together a few years ago called Proximity Media. And, you know, by that time, I had kind of established myself as a documentarian, but, you know, being linked up with Ryan and you know, having the stage of this company was a huge break for me in terms of access to sort of bigger stories. Um, and so that's really, my, my career has definitely taken a turn as I've sort of linked up with Ryan um, to, to produce. Um, and so now we're, you know, right, the, these last couple projects, Anthem and Underrated are sort of the product, product of that partnership. And But you've committed a lot of, and you, you kind of touched on this, but you've committed a lot of your career to storytelling through documentaries. Why? Why has that resonated with you as the medium for the work that you do? I mean, to a large, uh, man, not, not to sort of unpack too, too much my own story, but my first. Unpack it. Um, we got time. Unpack it. <laughs> we got time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, my, my story. So my first film um, was called The Wolf, and it was basically an exploration of the impact. I had a really bad drug problem when I was at Howard. Um, and it was, and I was arrested and incarcerated. This is at the height of the war on drugs in Washington, D.C. 
I was adopted in 1968, sort of born into the story of race in America. My birth mother was white. My birth father was black. Her family threatened to, this is in Ohio, 1968, her family threatened to kind of you know disown her if she married this black man. And so she made the difficult decision to put me up for adoption. I was adopted by a black family um, in Ohio. We moved to Boston. My dad's descendants of Gullah, South Carolina, um, slaves. My mom's parents came over from Cape Verde, West Africa, and we grew up in Boston. And I was this mixed race kid bouncing around, all kinds of identity issues. Um, my dad had struggled for many, many years, was the first in his family to go to college at the age of 16 to Talladega, dealt with all kinds of internal, you know, doubt and identity stuff, was an alcoholic in a black family, middle-class black family in Boston. This was something that was never talked about. And everything just sort of metastasized um, to sort of my addiction and incarceration. And at that point, um, that was a sort of turning point for me, flash forward to getting through college and grad school, having the opportunity to make my first film, I decided to sort of explore my own story. And so that really became the foundation of, you know, wanting to dig into areas that were often not talked about or perspectives that were not really explored. And, you know, obviously addiction, black, the black family, you know, diversity, the refugee experience, ultimately marrying, you know, Vonna Nix, who, you know, was a refugee from Laos, opened my eyes to the need to tell these stories. And being in Oakland, Oakland, California, one of the most diverse cities in America, all these local stories and issues that these very intimate and authentic perspectives were also reflective of things that we were grappling with on a national level, like, you know, healthcare, criminal justice reform, education. So th those all, my own personal experience just felt like it blended and dovetailed very um, powerfully into both the local story of Oakland and sort of these issues that we were grappling with as a country. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You know, I've, I like to ask this when we have producers and documentarians and others on the show, but what stories haven't you told yet that you'd like to tell? Um, I mean, I, I 
started with my own story because I felt that if I'm going to be pointing a camera at other people and getting into other people's business, I, I need to understand what that means, you know, to sort of be vulnerable, to expose, to dig, dig into difficult truths. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like there's more to be told about my own story where we're adapting my, um, I'm adapting my feature documentary into a narrative feature that explores the other side of the story. The, the film mainly takes place with the events leading up to my uh, incarceration. Um, and we're, we're, you know, the, the fiction piece is gonna look at more the reverse side of that is, you know, a, a kid coming home into a, a black family in, in suburban, you know, DC. You know, what does that family kind of grab? How does that family, you know, come to grips with and, and cope with that? Um, so that's something I'm working on, um, sort of some unresolved, um, you know, thematic stuff that's been tumbling around in my head for, for, for a long time. You know, I think the perspective issue is really important to me. It's something that Ryan showed with Black Panther that, you know, when we reveal, uh, uh, hidden perspectives that it can have a powerful unifying, um, effect. You know, this notion of reimagining the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the perspective of Afrofuturism, I mean, it's, it's like mind-blowing. And I remember seeing that movie um, in a theater in Utah full of white Mormons, you know, packed. packed. And that just, it just blew my mind. You know, like, I, how, how, how could you do that? And so that, to me, that sort of idea is there in our, in our culture, especially at a time when we are so... You know, we're struggling right now as, as a nation to find ourselves, my own identity issues and sort of struggling to sort of reconcile who am I as a young black man in America? What does that mean? What does it mean to be black in America? What does it mean to be American? I think needs a lot of inquiry in our storytelling. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah was our first film at Proximity. And this was a story about Fred Hampton, who was going into the coal mines of West Virginia into Southeast Ohio unifying the Black Panthers with with working class white Americans. And he was succeeding in doing that. And his life was cut short before that 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 could be fully that unification uh, could be fully realized. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Trying to reflect and understand where we where we're at, both individually within this country, but also sort of as a nation, these thematic uh, through lines are in a lot of my work and and definitely in a lot of Ryan's work. That, that's also a natural segue to underrated. Let's chat about that. What was the impetus for doing this film and why somebody like Steph Curry? Uh, Ryan's a huge Steph fan. And, and so, so when Ryan, um, you know, after Panther sort of really, really put him on, Creed and Panther put him on the map, he was with Steph. And, you know, they stayed in touch over the years. And at some point, Steph, in the last couple of years, Steph decided he had, during the NBA lockout, he had tried to fulfill this promise he had made to his mom um, that he would graduate college. He was the first player that Coach McKillop had not graduated from Davidson College. And Sonia was the first in her family to go to college. And so this was a, value, a family value that was very important um, to Sonia and Steph. And he, was, he decided he was going to try to do it again. That combined with you know, he had never told the story, the Davidson story before, and I had never seen it before. And so when they came to us with the project, we we recognized a couple of things. One, there was a potential for, 
you know, and unexpected, you know, you know, you don't know what's going to happen if he's, you know, you're going to document this guy trying to fulfill this promise he made to his mom. Um, and, and also this hidden story that, you know, nobody knew Steph's origin story. So that, that attracted us. And then just the thematic idea of, you know, the power of being seen. It was something that, you know, Ryan, you know, with tragic consequences we saw unfold with Oscar Grant's story in Fruitvale Station, this notion mm -hmm. that in society, when we are not seen, there, there are there are tragic, there can be tragic consequences um, seen by society or misunderstood or, or stereotyped. And with, with Steph's story, we, we we saw this powerful inspiration story of the of the reverse of that. It's like when you when you recognize someone, and in Steph's case, it was Coach McKillop, who was the scrappy player coach who was a young player himself in, in, in Queens, who was a tiny player who um you know transcended external doubt that he was the one who saw Steph, you know, and obviously in addition to his family. So that that those universal ideas we we felt were really strong and would probably bring together a huge audience, you know, obviously around somebody that we we've heard of quite a quite a bit. And you know, it's a little bit of a head scratching when you throw out the notion of underrated today. Like we, we've seen what he's accomplished today, but when you sort of go back and unpack the origin story of of him, you you recognize this very very powerful inspirational universal story. One of the questions that people ask me often, I I had a documentary about my race for lieutenant governor, and people come to me often, and I'm sure you do. But how do projects like this get funded? And I'm always curious about how projects actually get done and what goes into getting these projects finance because this seems like it would be an easier project to get funded because of who it is but I'm pretty sure you had a difficult road to bear as well this one's easy I mean it, it, it's a mixed bag like so all of my work prior to to this is is mainly foundation grants so like if you're telling a story about someone who's not well known but you see a powerful story your your job as the storyteller is to convince people you know with money to, to support your your effort and it's the same as in, in politics you have to Tell the story of, of like why you, what what is not not just you know your your candidacy but what's your story and I think that that sort of storytelling is always at the center of every um, effort. Even you know someone like Steph Curry, you still have to sort of you know tell the story of uh, to to get the budget that you need for the film. You know, so it, it's always uh, you know a focus on story. Um, going back to the basics of, of honing in and, um, you know, communicating that. And it's just, it's, it's just a range of, um, you know, even today we, we have a proliferation of celebrity documentaries. It seems like everybody in their grandmother is like trying to like, you know, put, put their story out there. And so you are still operating in that ecosystem of, okay, it's Steph Curry, but, but so what, you know? And so that, that is something that, um, you know, every filmmaker and every financier is going to have to face. I don't think you can talk about Steph uh, without talking about two people I know pretty well, both Dale and Sonia Curry. What did you learn about them and how they raised their kids from this film beyond basketball? Oh, man. Well, first of all, like Steph's like Steph's uh, chill comes from Dell and, and Steph's fire comes from Sonia and, 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 and maybe Grandma Candy, too. Who, who, you know, I, I'd heard, I had sort of seen in the ecosystem Dell and Sonia, I think, as a lot of us have. Um, but meeting his family, you know, his cousins, Grandma Candy, meeting his mom's side of the family, you start, you start to sort of see the ingredients that sort of make up 
um, you know, who Steph is and his his sort of superpower. He he is a combination of of a collection of, of experiences, people's influence, probably some of that DNA in, in, in there. And, uh, you know, a huge chip on his shoulder that he carries with him. That, that is that baby faced assassin, you know, you know, piece of it, but, you know, both of his parents went to Virginia tech were star athletes and he didn't even get uh, a scholarship offer from, from Virginia tech, which was that when we found that out, that was really the sort of key that sort of unlocked, um, you, you know, this argument of, of just how, you know, overlooked he was. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S, IAN.com at Lassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24 7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Uh, Davidson, you spent a lot of time on Davidson. Um, and you talked about the fact that you didn't hear some of these stories from Davidson. One story that sticks out in particular was I believe Duke came back after his first or second year and wanted to recruit him from Davidson. And he was like, y'all go to hell. My words, not his words. But why did you lean into the Davidson years so heavily in this uh, documentary? And and how do they f- help us fully appreciate who Steph has become? We were actually going to go further with da- Davidson. You know, ha- had the Warriors not won the championship that year, would have been a different <laughs> would have been a different different film. But we interviewed like scores of like alumni, and 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 we these folks are serious, man. Like not only are they serious uh, fans, but that 2008 run had a huge impact on on that sort of cohort of of um, Davidson alumni that were there at the time, because it's sort of like that that story. And I kind of related to it a little bit, like maybe not so much now. I think HBCUs have had a moment the last several years. Um, but when I when I was at Howard, like I I would tell people people say where are you going to school? I said I'd say Howard, and then they'd say Harvard. <laughs> you know, I know like, Howard. Howard, you I know, get that. So there's a notion that, um, you know, Davidson is, this, Davidson is this tiny school itself underrated, itself overlooked, itself misunderstood, that people had always been itching to kind of like tell that, tell that story, express that story. And Steph gave them the, the ability to do that. And so we knew we wanted to lean into that to the degree that we could. And also it was just the thing that people are less familiar about when you talk about Steph Curry, people just that story hasn't really been 
told and thematically it was connected that they 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 themselves as a community felt the same way that Steph felt as an individual and their role in his life and his ability to transcend that external doubt was significant not just coach McKillop's role as his mentor but that entire community sort of pushed him along and um you know he's always you know carried that with him and you saw it in the in the film he keeps those people close to him to this day Jay Rich who was on his his team in 2008 obviously coach coach McKillop one of my last questions of substance, and then we'll get to the most important question, but talk about the role of having an NBA veteran father to help address some of the concerns perceived by NBA scouts and effectively help Steph transform the game. I know his fire came from Sonia, but talk about the role that Dale played in his life. And, you know, black fatherhood is something that's oftentimes misunderstood. Is that something that's underscored in this film? Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a subtle theme. It's something that's really important to. Um, I mean, my my films are probably more about community and the power of community. And Ryan's films are very much about the black family experience. If you look at Fruitvale Station, Creed, Black Panther, that sort of notion is uh, integral uh, to the storytelling. Um, and we knew. There were there were probably two or three different versions of this 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 film. There was another version of this film that was you know more in the ecosystem of Steph's family. We knew we weren't going to tell that that piece of it as much as we probably as some people might have wanted, but we wanted to articulate the key roles that you know his parents played um, emotionally from Sonia, um, and and almost you know practically and strategically from Dell his his one tiny little tweak you you could argue was the foundation of the thing that has changed the entire NBA which mm -hmm. was seeing you know Steph shooting from his waist recognizing that he was an undersized player recognizing that in order for him to get that shot off that he was going to have to change his shot and and that's that was the piece that not only transformed Steph's game, but that has basically transformed the entire NBA. So that was the, it was a subtle, but powerful, um, you know, uh, piece and a, and a reminder too, that, um, you know, it's an inspirational story and something that we think, you know, people will take away and, you know, use for fuel for their own lives, what they're going after. But it's also a, a reminder for, all the mentors out there, all the teachers out there, all the parents out, out there, not to sort of doubt the impact that, that we can have on younger people's lives um, and the power of seeing them, validating them, giving them guidance, um, giving them advice is, is, is a powerful idea. You know, and the most amazing thing about how great Steph is, and this is a very ironic statement, is that his brother Seth is one of the greatest shooters in NBA basketball, and he's still only the third best shooter in his family. Man, I feel I feel bad for Seth. It's like, man, you know, it's like, you know, so when you did when you have somebody like Steph, it's like every everybody else is in the shadow. So even Aisha, Aisha's like, you know, she's a mom and she's married to Steph and um, she's building her her business. She's, you know, she's out there doing doing her thing. Seth is doing her thing, uh, doing his thing. Um, and these are accomplished and incredibly talented. It's it's an incredible family. And yeah, the ecosystem. It is fascinating. And, you know, there's just such a down to earth uh, 
and we wanted to give it a sense kind of what you see is what you get. It, you know, it, it is a, a deeply, um, a family that deeply values, um, you know, relationships and, and obviously Dell and Sonya went through a really difficult time during the making of the film and they, they, they got divorced. Um, but that, that's something that is so deeply human. It's a human right. experience. It's something that's also, um, you know, um, something that a lot of people go through. We didn't, you know, get into that in, in, in the movie just because it just felt some, somewhat tangential. But it, it's a lesson, you know, that all, all the things, you know, you go through life, you face challenges, you face disappointment, you face failure. And, you know, how you respond to that. And it's part of what, you know, Coach McKillop, when he went to watch Steph play in high school, and he saw him turning the ball over, missing shots. He wasn't so much focused on that. He was focused on how Steph recovered from that, how he bounced back from that. And that's the thing that he noticed in, in, in Steph. And that's why he was able to see his potential. Well, most important question, how can people watch this amazing film that you put out? And how can they follow you on social media? Uh, it's out there on Apple TV+. Plus. I think like if you go on Steph's socials, he he's there's like a a token or something where if you don't have Apple, you can you can watch it. But it's basically being made available to everyone, even if you don't have Apple TV Plus. And I'm I'm out there on the socials at, at Pete Nix. Instagram and Twitter is basically how I'm doing it. Oh, good. I appreciate you, Pete Nix. Great film. Thank you for joining the Bakari Selves podcast. Thanks, Bakari. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.